Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime Boaz said to her, Come here, and eat some bread, and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. 
And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests. And she lived with her mother-in-law. As we pick the story up today, we're reminded of Elimelech and, and the issue that Naomi was dealing with. See, when she came back into Bethlehem, she was so centrally focused on the issues that she was dealing with. She was so mesmerized by her own suffering, she thought she was all alone in the world. And the, and the author lets us know immediately that, that, hey, she's not alone. In fact, if you remember last week, she told her, her daughters-in-law, she told the, the girls that were following her, the reason that you can't go with me is because I have no one. And even if there was someone, can I have more sons for you to marry? Can, can, I, can I help you in any way? See, that was her, that was her reasoning for sending Naomi or, or Orpah and Ruth back or encouraging them to leave her. When she came into Bethlehem, the reason that she wanted to be called bitter was because she recognized that she was empty. I went away full and I came back empty. The Lord's hand has been heavy on me. And, and she's not recognizing all of the blessings that, that's been given because she's so intently focusing on her suffering. You see, what she's, what she's dealing with, what she's struggling with, has turned her focus so inward on her own her own self that that she's missing out on how God is already blessing her in the midst of it. I mean, who wouldn't appreciate someone looking at you and saying, "Where you go, I will go. Where you're going to live, I'm going to be there." And those people that you call your people, I'm going to call my people. And that God that you follow and that you trust in and that you speak so much about, I'm going to trust in Him. And where you die, I'm going to live there to the day I die. Who wouldn't appreciate that? Except maybe a person that's so inwardly focused that they can't see what a blessing that might be. You see, Ruth was just about to become a very pivotal person in Ruth's or in Naomi's life. She was about to become the way that God was going to bless Naomi. But Naomi couldn't see how God was working. She couldn't see that as she came into that as she came into Bethlehem, it was just at the time of harvest. She has no way to provide. She has no hope of provision in her own perspective. But she comes in in just in time for there to be a harvest. Knowing the laws of the harvest. 
You see, and we're gonna, we're gonna see those today. We're gonna, we're gonna see those today. But in that moment, she couldn't recognize that there was rays of hope. She couldn't recognize that because she felt so hopeless and forgotten that God was still working. And the author tells us immediately as, as the, as the chapter opens in, in verse one, Hey, there's this guy named Boaz. He's a worthy dude. And he's related to Elimelech. And he reminds us immediately. He, he reveals to us immediately that, that, that Ruth and Naomi, they've suffered, but God hasn't forgotten them. And he goes on to, to spell out for us what, what begins to happen. And we begin to see once again God's providence and redemption. You see, because the idea, and I, and I laid this out last week and I need to do it again this week. The idea is, is that all of these circumstances, it, it, you know, it's like we're looking in on a film. It's, it's like we're getting to see a dramatic romance novel play out. And we're getting to, we're getting to see clips of these people's lives in a different situation, in a different circumstances, and we're seeing all this happen. And, and they are main characters in this, in the story. But they're not the star of the show. The star of the show is a, is a character that doesn't speak for himself at all in this book, but he is named over and over and over and over again. They call him Lord or Yahweh. That's the name that they're using. The God who created, the God who entered into covenant with Israel, the God who sent Moses in after the Israelites and brought them out of Egypt, that same God is the God that they're recognizing is working. You see, he's the star of the show. Because this story wasn't written simply to let us know that Ruth married Boaz. It does give us history. Ruth marries Boaz and ends up becoming an ancestor of Jesus Christ. That's, that, that's the rest of the story. But that's not the only reason it's written. You see, in these pages, we recognize that more than just a history, we recognize that God is provident and He is working towards redemption. Providence, if you'll remember, is, is essentially, basically, it's, it's the God's ordaining of all events to bring about what He decrees, to bring about what He wants to happen. If He says it's going to happen, it happens. It's based on his eternal attributes of power. He's an all-powerful God. There's nothing he can't do. There's nothing that can stop him. And, and it's based on that power. It happens because he has the power to make it happen. It, it, it's based on his eternal attribute of knowledge. He knows what occurs. He knows all things. He doesn't have to learn. He's not like us, learning at an early age, 2 plus 2 equals 4. And then, and then the reality is, is that between those two numbers, there's an infinite number of numbers. He knows all that already. We have to figure it out, and it still boggles our mind that you can go to an infinite distance between number two and number three. It's crazy, but he already knows. He, there's nothing he doesn't know. And, and you know what? He's always present. That's the other attribute that his providence is based on. He is always present at all times. There's nothing that ever happens that he doesn't know about because he is everywhere at all times. He's got the power to work it. He's got the knowledge to work it. And he's got the, the, the presence to work it. He's sovereign. He owns everything. Everything belongs to him. And it's ruled by his goodness. He's not working maliciously. He's not working as if he doesn't care or, or is not compassionate. 
But He's a good God who's working out His redemption. Redemption is essentially God restoring things that He chooses to restore, bringing things back to Himself. It recognizes that God owns everything, that He is sovereign, that, that He created, and because of that, He owns it. It's His to do with as He pleases. And so redemption is looking at it and, and recognizing the separation of sin and God reaching out and saying, that's mine, I'm bringing it back to myself. That's mine, I'm bringing it back to myself. I'm bringing it back to myself. That's mine, I'm, I'm taking it back. That's redemption. And so this story of Ruth shows us God providentially working in, in the midst of circumstances, that, in situations that appear to be coincidental, always working towards His redemption. He's the star of the show. And, and, and poor Naomi, who recognizes, recognizes His sovereignty. Poor Naomi, who understands that He works who recognizes that it's, it's his hand that he suffers, or, or that she suffers under, forgets that he's a good God. Forgets that, that he's got greater purposes, bigger things. Poor Naomi, dealing with her own struggles, forgetting about everybody else's struggles, forgetting by, about anybody else's dealings, and, and thinks that God's just out to get her. Oh, he's dealing bitterly with me. Call me bitter. But she's not alone in the world. She does have a, a blood relative. She does have someone who can provide for her, who can help her in her time of need. His name is Boaz. I mean, think about this. Here she is, seemingly all alone in the world, so caught up in herself. But she forgets that she has a relative. What's that take? Forgot all about Boaz. The writer tells us that Boaz is a worthy man. He's the kind of guy that, that every parent wants their, wants their daughters to bring home. He's the kind of guy that, that, that fathers long for their daughters to marry. Hey, you turn that air conditioner down. Everybody's shivering up here. He's the kind of guy that, that we long for our daughters to marry. He, 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 he's wealthy. He owns a lot of land. I mean, who wouldn't want their daughter to marry a wealthy guy? That's retirement right there, baby. I mean, really. He's, he's got it together. He's honorable. He's trustworthy. He's dependable. And he just so happens to be single. Just so happens to be single. Well, here they are, living life. Ruth and Naomi come home. She's forgotten all about Boaz. They're hungry. The barley harvest is on. Ruth decides, hey, you know what? we got to eat. What are we going to do? So she gets up and she goes to do something that most of us in our culture will look down on. I mean, she's, she's essentially taking a job at McDonald's because she's hungry. I bumped into a lady not long ago that worked for us for a while. She's working in the drive-thru at McDonald's. And she began immediately to make excuses because she was ashamed. You know what? I'm glad she's working. She's working to, to, to make money, to provide for her kids. But essentially, that's what Ruth does. Ruth gets up and she goes out and she's like, hey, I don't know where I'm going I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to go and I'm going to glean off of these fields 
I'm going to look for somebody to find, to, to, to show me favor, to show me grace. And, and I'm just going to, I'm going to get what I can get. We're going to eat what we can eat. You see, in the, in the Jewish law, there was this law of gleaning. The idea was, and God had this written into the law for a purpose, I think. But there was, there was this rule that as the Israelites went through the field, they weren't to glean all the way to the edges. They were to leave some over on purpose. And if they dropped some on the ground, they couldn't pick it up. They had to keep walking. And if they overlooked something, even if they hadn't dropped it, but they looked back and they see something, they couldn't go back and get it. They were to leave it. And the reason was, was because God said through this, He was going to provide for poor people and sojourners. He was going to provide for people who didn't have land. He was going to, he was going to show his generosity. He was going to show his grace to people who didn't have a lot of wealth, didn't have a job and had no other way to provide. There it is. And people who were just passing by were welcome to enjoy his generosity. Now Ruth, the perfect, perfect person to go out and do this. She's a stranger in a strange land. Goes out to the field and is going to glean. Picking up leftovers. She's become a bag lady. Or a drive through attendant at McDonald's. Or, or some other lowly thing that our culture would look at and frown on. But she's working. She's working hard. Trusting that, that someone is going to show her favor. She's not waiting for a handout. She's not the guy standing on the side of the, the side of 65 and, and, uh, and, and uh, battlefield holding up the sign will work for food. Hey, if he'll really work for food, I'm okay with that. But in a lot of cases, they're looking for a handout. They they, they would just prefer just just give me. I I don't I don't really want to work. Just give to me. So Ruth goes out. She finds work. She's gleaning, hoping for favor. The idea of favor, see that we've, we've got to, we've got to get this. There's two concepts that I think we need to understand as we think about this. She's dealing, she's, she's still suffering. They're not going to get rich. They're not going to have an abundance. They're not going to enjoy the, 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 the big fruits and abundant life by gleaning. They're still suffering, scraping by. And last week, if you remember, we talked about this. Suffering is because sin is. Suffering exists because sin exists. We suffer. We have difficulty. We, we, we go through trials and tribulations. We deal with problems because sin exists. Had Adam and Eve not rebelled against God, if, if they had lived perfectly in the garden and obeyed His commands, we would know complete peace. We would have, have, have a pure joy. We would, we would know the abundant life. We would, we would spend time with our Creator. We would hear Him speak and we'd be able to speak directly to Him. No separation, no division. We would know what perfection is. But because that's not the way the story went, in comes all the fruits of sin. And we suffer. And we struggle. And we scrape by. And sometimes it's very difficult to live this life. But on the other side of that, grace is because God is. You see, the reason that, that, that Ruth... The reason that she could think about thinking and looking for favor and hoping that someone would look on her and show her grace is because it exists in this world because our God is a gracious God. 
You see, they, they're, they're, they're so caught up in their suffering, especially Naomi, so, so dealing with her suffering, so, so empty because of her suffering. She, she, she quits thinking about God's goodness. She, she ignores how God is blessing until he makes it so clear that his grace cannot be ignored. You see, grace is because God is. Let me ask you a question. Do you think that people would have allowed this gleaning to happen? Do you think that people in their nature would allow Ruth to go into their field if they weren't told to do this and pick up the extras? Are we naturally that generous? I don't think so. You see, I think God wrote this into the law of His chosen people so that His grace would become evident. And I'll take an illustration from Christian lives. You see, we, we don't have the law, we don't have the prophets, we don't have, we don't have the things that, the, that they had in the Old Testament, but what we do have is the indwelling Holy Spirit. God lives in us. Hmm. Are we generous? Would you consider yourself a generous person? Do you think the church at large is a generous people? I just want you to consider this. We've got some big churches in Springfield. We've got a lot of Christians, or people at least who are claiming to be Christians, living in Springfield who are very affluent. Do you think they live generously? What would happen? How different would our world look if people who had the indwelling Holy Spirit lived off of what they needed instead of what they wanted? What if, what if people came to a place where they would live off of what they need and gave away the abundance? How different would this world look? How different could our city be? What kind of testimony would that give to God? I'm not saying that we need to sell our houses and, 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 and not enjoy the fruits of our labor. I don't think that God is condemning us to, to scraping by. But He's a generous God. And He's demonstrated His generosity by blessing His people generously. And consistently through Scripture, you see over and over in the law, He wanted His people to be generous. Don't pick up everything. Leave it for people who are less fortunate. In fact, purposely leave it on the edges. Purposely leave that out there so that others can have it. It's beyond our, our imagination, I think, in our, in our capitalistic society. And not that I'm against capitalism. I think it's the one that works in, in our fallen world. I think it's the, the system of economics that works best in our fallen world. But what drives capitalism? A desire for me to have. Right? God's a generous God. He's called His people to be a generous people. And when, when the Holy Spirit moved into people in the early church, what happened? Acts 2. What happened? 
They committed so deeply to the teaching of truth, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, the observance of, of sacrifice, to, 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 to prayer. To, they, they committed so deeply to one another that they, when they recognized need, they went and sold something if they had to, to make sure that need was met. When the Holy Spirit moved into them, they became a generous people, a sacrificial people. God is a generous God who, who demonstrates His grace. And that grace shines so brightly because suffering is so dark. It, 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 it's so easy to see light when you're in the midst of dark. You know, here's the great thing about this. Here's, here's the amazing truth about this. Is that God steps back and he looks at all these things. And he looks at the good that we, we consider good. And he, he looks at the bad that we consider bad. You know, you know if I'm suffering, if, if I'm scraping a living by and I'm just barely making it, I feel like I'm suffering. If my car breaks down and, and, or I get in a wreck or, 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 or my sons get sick or, or these things happen that are unexpected and all of a sudden I feel like I, I, I'm not going to make it by. I can't get by. He looks at that. And he looks at those times when I'm blessed and when you're blessed and, and everything seems to be going my way. I, I got the promotion at work I wanted. I, I got the pay raise I felt like I needed. I, people are being nice to me. I got good friends. Oh, my, my life just seems to be together now. It seems, seems to be together. Oh, man, God's grace is really good. And he looks at both of those. And in his providence, he takes them. He says they're both good. Because in the midst of them, we recognize how good he is. If it's always light, how much are we going to take that for granted? You ever been to Alaska in the middle of the winter? You ever, you ever lived someplace where it was dark more than it was light? Ask those people how much they enjoy a sunrise. But he takes that and he says, you know what? In this, you're going to be able to recognize me. In the bad, I'm going to turn it to your good, and you're going to recognize me. In the good, I'm going to shine, and you're going to recognize how, how generous and how gracious I am, and you're going to recognize me. In my providence, I'm going to reveal myself to you through all of these things. Sometimes we're like Naomi, and we're so short-sighted that we can't see that God's made providence or he's made a way in His providence for us to know Him, for us to be touched by Him, for us to, 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 to see Him and experience Him. Suffering is because sin is. Grace is because God is. And in the midst of those two things, we can begin to see God work. And out of that, here comes one. His name was Boaz. To provide hope to these two people. Naomi couldn't have seen it coming. Ruth couldn't have seen it coming. In fact, if you go back into the, into the passage, there's, there's a little detail. There's a little detail that, that 
if, if you're not paying attention, if you're not reading it closely, you could, you could step right by. You could forget all about. You could miss it totally. In verse 2 it says, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, and in whose sight I shall find favor. She didn't know where she was going. She didn't know, she didn't know where she was going to end up. She couldn't manipulate this situation. She couldn't have earned it. She couldn't have done things right to make, make someone like her better. She just needed to go out. She needed to work. She needed someone to demonstrate grace. She, she goes. And she said to her, Naomi says to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she, <laughs> and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. It's no coincidence, as, as our author looks back, that he sets Boaz up as this, as this ray of hope. It's no coincidence that, that, that Ruth ends up accidentally, it just so happens that she comes to this place that, that Boaz owns. You see, what happens is that God is working in the midst of all of these circumstances to bring about His will, to demonstrate His grace, so that in His providence, people recognize His grace and begin to recognize that He is moving them to redemption. It just so happens that she came to the part of the field that belonged to Boaz. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. She happens to be out there working. Boaz happens to show up. He sees her. Who is, who is she? Who does she belong to? And his men say, oh, that's the Moabite that came back with Naomi. And Boaz, he already knows all about her. When, when, when he talked to them, he didn't have to say, okay, well, tell me some more. He, he, he needed to recognize her. He already knew all about her. It was, it was no accident that at, at some point before he comes out to the field, it was no accident that he had heard all about this young woman who came back with Naomi, who, who committed her life to her, that left everything behind so that she could stay with Naomi. And Boaz comes to her. And he says, I don't want you to go anywhere else. I want you to glean in my field. I want you to be here. See, he recognizes the law. He knows the law. He is a worthy man. And out of that law, God's grace shines. And she recognizes favor. Oh, you have had favor on me. You know who he gives praise to? The Lord is blessing you because of all that you've done. You see, here's the great thing is Naomi was the one that owed Ruth something, in essence. Because without Ruth, Naomi really would have been all alone in the world. Naomi was the one that would have really been indebted to Ruth. Because she came with her, and, and now she's going to, to work and, and bring food home to her. Na Naomi would have been the one to, to, that would have really been indebted to her, but, but that's not how the payment comes. That's not how the blessing is revealed. That's not how, how blessings are poured out upon her. See, it comes from God. Through Boaz. The Lord has favor on you. He's blessing you for all that you've done. <clears throat> but I don't want you to go anywhere else. I, I, I don't, I don't, I want you to follow my women, the, the, the servants that I have. I, I want you to follow them and I want you to go to the next field with them. I want you to pick up whatever you can. 
And, and by the way, come, come on, have some food with us. Sit down and have lunch with us. D- dip your bread in the wine and enjoy this. You see, God's grace, it shined through the law. It shined through, through the law, but, but the grace, it goes so far beyond the law, beyond the command. The generosity, the, the blessing, it flowed past the command. Boaz was never commanded to have Ruth come and sit with them and have lunch. You, nowhere in the law were they supposed to just give up everything. Nowhere in the law did, 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 was it expected of them to, to take them in and, and just begin giving everything away. The law was is that you leave the edges and the droppings and the forgotten. So the, the grace shined through the law, but the grace went beyond the law. And he says, come and have food with us, eat with us, enjoy and rest and take a break. And then in verse 10, after the lunch is over, after, after everybody else is, is getting up and going to work again, Boaz begins to speak to his other servants, to the men in charge. He says, I want you guys to purposely drop some so that she can get it. I want you to leave it for her on purpose. I want you to make sure that when she leaves here today, she has got plenty because God's grace is so much more than just the law. It's, it, it's not measured by some one, one single command. It goes so much further. So much, so much more than we can follow. So much more than we can earn. So much more than, 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 than we can simply do ourselves. It goes so far and it's so generous and it, and it blesses us so deeply and so richly. So Ruth, she gets done working that day. She has an ephah of barley. That's about 30 pounds of barley. 30 pounds of barley. That's like food for weeks. And that's, that's a lot of food. It's a lot of barley. She got paid for being a CEO working at McDonald's. That's essentially what happened that day. Because God's grace was blessing her through our man Boaz. God's grace, it it shines in the law. God's grace goes so much further than law. And God's grace, God's grace is not a coincidence. There, There is no coincidence. It just so happens that Ruth happens on this place. It just so happens that, that Ruth steps into this field and it just so happens that Boaz happens to show up and it just so happens that Boaz happens to be the, the, the relative of Elimelech and it just so happens that when Ruth comes home, Naomi remembers that they do have a Redeemer, that they do have one that's on their side that can help them, that can provide for them, that can protect them, that, 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 that can bring them back in. It just so happens. See, God's grace, it's not a coincidence. It's not a coincidence that you're here today hearing about God's grace shining in, in commands and, 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 and going so, so much further than that. It's, it's not a coincidence that you're hearing about God's grace demonstrated even in the bad times, making them good, and especially through the good times, demonstrating His generosity and His providence. It's no coincidence 
that you came to a place at some point in your life that you heard the truth and could respond to it. It's no coincidence that you can recognize Jesus as your Savior, as your Redeemer. It's no coincidence. It just so happened that God worked. He brought you to this place. He may have brought you through some rough times. You may have been bitter at Him. You may have been angry at Him. You may have been pointing your finger at Him. It's no coincidence that He brought you through those things that you might recognize His goodness. It's no coincidence that He brought you to that place where you recognize that on your own you're empty and you're all alone and there's no hope in the world. It's no coincidence that He revealed to Son, Jesus Christ, that you might know there is redemption. It's no coincidence because our God is providentially working to redeem those things that He so chooses to redeem. God's grace, it's not coincidental. It may appear like that on our side. It may appear like that from our perspective. But if we can just stop and and just take a second to think, think about this story that we're in. Great suffering reveals God's great goodness. And leads to the point where we recognize that he's working towards redemption. Because the rest of the story is is that that this isn't a story isolated and, and off by itself. But it's part of the story of what God did to bring his son, Jesus Christ, into the world. So many things happened that just look like they so happened. I was telling this story yesterday. I I was climbing a mountain in China with a 70-pound pack on my back wondering if I could have gotten it wrong. Maybe I didn't belong here, Lord. Maybe you didn't really want me to come. I'm the oldest, fattest guy on the trip, and I am dying. In fact, I I thought really I was going to die in China on the side of this mountain. They had talked about how hard it was going to be. Some of these guys had already been up the mountain. And they had talked about what a difficult climb it was. And, and these guys are, I mean, they're rock hard, you know, and they're, they're, they're doing this kind of stuff all the time and, and they're young. I mean, they were all in college and I was, I don't know how old I was at that point, but I was, I was way older than they were. And I'm thinking as I'm listening to this, I'm thinking, oh, if they think it's hard. I had been, I had been, I had been working towards this all summer, knowing it was going to be a difficult trip, carrying sometimes a hundred pound pack on different trails. But boy, I wasn't ready. It was tough. And about halfway up that mountain, I'm really wondering, did you really lead me here? Am I really here following you? Did you you really want me to do this? But if I hadn't gone through that, I wouldn't have appreciated the top of that mountain so much. See, we got to the top of the mountain. The plan had been to distribute our, our gospel material in this village on the top of that mountain, a hundred or so houses, totally isolated from all of the world. The only way in was two foot trails up the side of this terribly steep, high mountain. It was funny, we met some guys along the way, the Chinese people, and they were carrying these, these uh, loads of wood with, with a branch, or not a branch, but like a small tree trunk across their shoulders. And they were carrying them right up that mountain like it was nothing, you know, they were just be bopping up the mountain. We tried to pick one of those up. Oh, we we it was it was heavy. They made us look like wimps, especially me. 
But we got to the top of that mountain, it was dark, and we couldn't distribute in the village because we didn't want to walk into that village in the night and, and surprise people, and who knows what would have happened. We, we, I don't know. But it could have been bad. So we decided to go on, go on a little further in the trail and look for this place that we could, that we could sleep. There wasn't a flat place that didn't have a rice paddy in it that, that was more than about three feet wide. And so we just thought, well, we're going to end up sleeping along the side of the trail. And we followed that trail, and we'd come to these little places. No, that's not, that's, let's just keep going. Let's just keep going. And we'd come to these, we'd come to another little place. Ah, let, let's go a little further. We walked past the village that we were going to distribute in the next morning for about a half a mile along the top of this ridge line. And we walk into this opening on the top of a mountain. And it looked like the grass had just been freshly cut. I mean, it was, it, it, it was amazing. You know, of course, we're looking at it under flashlights, but, but it was just, it, it just opened up. And there was a clearing probably the size of this room that we're standing in now. It was dark enough that we couldn't see all the way across the clearing, but we, we recognized that it just opened up in the grass where it was, it was flat. And the grass was, was just beautiful. And somebody said something about green pastures. And we walk a little further in and there's this pond. And somebody says something about still waters. You see, what, what I haven't told you is that every one of us were out of water. We didn't have another drop of water to drink. It was a, it was a tough day. I'd gone through three quarts of water on the side, on the side of that mountain. I don't know how, how much the other guys had, but I went through a lot of water and I was thirsty. So we didn't know what we were going to do until we walk up on this pond on top of this mountain. There's our water. Somebody says something about still waters. The next thing you know, we're breaking out our Bibles and we're reading Psalm 23 and singing and praising God in the middle of this field on top of this mountain in the middle of a place that, that won't recognize Him to be God and they worship idols. And, and, and in fact, so much of the country has, has totally re revolted and rebelled against Him. I felt like we were in the shadow of death. And here we were. It just so happened to be this beautiful clearing for us to lay down and sleep in. And we were hungry. We needed to cook our food, but everything we had seen was just lush and green. Nothing's going to burn. And I said, as someone was off looking for wood along the edges of the edges of the clearing, it wouldn't surprise me if we found a stack of firewood waiting here for us. And about that time, this guy says, what did you just say? I said, it wouldn't surprise me if we found a stack of firewood up here. You're not going to believe this. There's a stack of wood. It's like 10 feet high. It's on the far side of the clearing. We couldn't see it. I had no idea. So we get some of that wood and we start burning it. We found out the next morning that it just so happened that this village, for whatever reason, kept their firewood a half a mile away in this clearing. And men would come out in the morning and they'd get some and they'd bring it home. It just so happened to be. Oh, we praise God. Man, did we praise God. But you know why I was able to enjoy that grace and the, the, the coincidences that, that occurred and recognized that God had providentially been preparing for us? Because I had to climb that mountain and deal with that struggle. That wasn't a coincidence either. You see, here's the question, and here's, here's, here's the thought. Here's the point. There is no coincidences in grace. 
Because God is using it all to demonstrate it. He's using the bad and the good. Everything that we experience that's hard, that hurts, He says, that's not in vain. In my providence, I have prepared for you to gain great good out of this. In, 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 in my ability, in my power, in my knowledge, in my presence, I have made, made, it, made things ready that you might know my goodness. See, there's no coincidences in grace. I mean, imagine, imagine this question. If, if there was a grace and coincidence, if, if there was a coincidence in grace, if there was accidents that happened, what would that mean about the suffering that they had experienced? Would it mean that God was out of control at that point? Would it mean that, would it, would it mean that He didn't have the power to provide? Would it mean that, that He couldn't do what He says He's gonna do? No. Because God works. Through seeming coincidence to bring about His providence. And also, grace is very costly. It shines in the law. He's, he's always been revealing it through, through His people. It goes so much farther than that. It, it, it's, it's a free gift, something we can't earn, something we can't, that, that we can't stand up and say we deserve. It's a gift. It's not coincidental. He's been working it. He's been providentially preparing for it. But grace comes at great cost. Who paid that day that Ruth walked out of there with 30 pounds of barley? Ruth received a great gift. Naomi recognized God's blessing in it. And she even says, you need to stick with this dude. You need to stay with him. Don't, don't go anywhere else. The Lord is blessing us. He's a redeemer for us. He can make things right for us. She recognizes God's grace. Who paid that day? Boaz. Boaz gave up some lunch so that Ruth could enjoy. Boaz gave up some barley so that Ruth could enjoy. So that Naomi could have food to eat. So that these people in his family would be provided for. You know, the thing, the thing about Boaz is that God couldn't have picked anyone else to play him. God couldn't have picked some, some dude that didn't care about people that was, that was uncompassionate or, or that didn't have, um, some noble standing in this, in, in society. Because Boaz stands in the pages of our scripture as a picture of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. See, God's grace is costly. But who pays for that grace? Did you earn it? Can you pay for it? Do you have the wherewithal to, to get things together to the point that, 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 that you can stand before God and demand His blessing? Boaz gave up a lot. 
He gave up so much to, to demonstrate this grace to, to Naomi and to Ruth. But Jesus Christ, He gave up so much more to be our Redeemer, to be their Redeemer, to be a Redeemer for people we don't know who are still part of the family. And He's providing for them. And He's demonstrating the goodness of God to them. And He's demonstrating to, to, to the world around that, that God is sovereign, that He is a, a ruler, that He is king. But He's not malicious and hateful. That he's, that he's not uncompassionate or distant and uncaring. But that He chose to work in this world. That He chose to pay a price Himself that we might be redeemed so that, so that we can recognize this real grace, this gift that we can't earn and could never deserve. All in our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Pictured here by Boaz. Who starts his role in this little story of ours by looking at Ruth and showing her grace and giving her more than she, she deserved or could have earned. If you recognize that you couldn't pay for it, if you recognize you couldn't earn it, if you recognize how special that gift would be, what does it mean to you? How special is it to you? Are you gonna, are you gonna run off and, and chase after all these other things and glean in other people's fields? Are, are you gonna chase after the things of the world and, and, and look for favor from them? Are you gonna chase after those things and look for fulfillment from them? Are you gonna chase after those things looking for your identity in them? Or are you gonna recognize how gracious God has been and stay with Him and respond only to Him and repent of all those things. Turn your mind from all those things. Give up on all those things and recognize that only God is providentially working for your redemption. How is it playing out in your life? Because see, Jesus... He said, to, he said to His disciples, He said, Hey, as I've been sent, I'm sending you. In this same way, demonstrating grace, revealing God, being, being His presence in the world, in this way that I've been sent, I'm sending you. I'm sending you. How? How are we revealing God's grace? How are we being witnesses to His glory? How are people looking at us? Are we the generous people that, that, that represent a generous God? Are we a gracious people representing a gracious God? Grace is very costly. It's not our grace. It's His. 
But He's called us to show it. To reveal it. To demonstrate it. To be an example of it. And who knows? Whose story you might stand in. Whose, whose circumstances of difficulty you might be standing in the middle of that you might begin revealing God's grace through the generosity of His blessings. Grace shines through His commands, through His law. Grace goes so much further than that by itself. It extends itself so much further. It's very costly. And in it, there are no coincidences. You're here because of God's grace. You can claim salvation because of God's grace. You experience, even in the difficulties, God's grace. He's providentially working for your redemption and the redemption of a people He's always known. How will you carry that? How will you show it? How will you reveal it? Whether you're at work, at a restaurant, at the supermarket, in your neighborhood, in a place that you go and hang out all the time, How will you show it? How will you reveal it? Whose life might He use you to touch? Every head bowed and every eye closed. <clears throat> I don't know how each of you come to this. I don't, I don't know how the Spirit might speak to you in it. I don't know what coincidence he might be calling you to recognize that he is in the middle of, that he's working. I, I don't know how he might be challenging you to stand up and be his representation, his witness in this world. I, I don't know exactly what he might be convicting you of to turn from, to, to quit gleaning in some other field and, and to trust in him alone. But His Word is truth and His power is unstoppable. His knowledge of you and His provision for you is amazing. Father, we thank You. We thank You for, for Your words. We thank You for Your providence. We thank You for, for working in our lives, demonstrating Your grace to us. We thank You for... <clears throat> helping us see You, for working out all of those circumstances in our life that we might know You. Let's pray, God, that You would give us strength to respond well to You. That we would turn from all of those other things that steal our attention and our, our passions and our desires. That, that, that we would stand up as a witness in the midst of darkness, that Your grace might shine through us, that Your grace would, would extend to its greatest extent through us, that Your grace might be worked through the coincidences of our life or the circumstances of our life, that Your grace 
even if it costs us something, would be revealed to the world around us. We thank you. We love you because you first loved us. Just pray, God, that you'd lead us and you'd guide us. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Every week we come to this place where it's a time to respond. I, I don't know how you need to respond. I can't tell you that. If you've come to trust in Christ for the first time and, and, and you need to talk to somebody, you do need to talk to somebody about that. You need to be baptized, and, and I would love to talk to you about that. We can set that up. You, you, um, you, you need to get plugged into the, to the church community. I mean, we need one another. I, I don't know. Maybe he's dealing with, with, with some sin that you need to sit and pray about, and you're dealing with conviction. You just need to get it off your chest. You need to speak with him. Just sit and pray. Whatever. Whatever you need to do. As we sing, I would encourage you to do it. If you are just moved by this, this awesome thought of this amazing grace, and you are touched by the thought that God would give up so much for you, that, that He would order things in such a way that a story could be told thousands of years later that you and I might see His grace. If you're just moved by that, and, and, you are, and you're just loving God, I, I want you to sing at the top of your lungs and praise Him for what He's done in your life. Because it's no coincidence. However you need to respond, I'd encourage you to do it as we sing.